It didn't frost last night, though the season's about right. Clouds kept Jack Frost away, but they hide summer's warmth today. Remembering the bleak, cold winter, I pull from the closet a warm sweater. We'll need coats by dark. I wonder if, wonder if it'll frost tonight. My inner sense says it might. Cold winds blow away the dark clouds of gray. I wish I'd canned pickles before now. I'll pick dill and cucumbers anyhow. It just might frost tonight. I don't mind if it frosts tonight. Our harvest really makes quite a sight. Winter will be plenty cold, but we'll survive as in days of old. We'll study seed catalogs with great care and dream of harvest for next year, even though it'll frost tonight. It did frost last night. The world is covered with crystals white. Tomato plants have all turned black, except those covered with blanket or sack. Inside, over baskets and boxes we trip, while we can tomato juice this winter to sip. Already we plan for spring. Daughter Lisa was six or so. She wrote this poem for Thanksgiving. Thank you for the world so sweet. Thank you for the food we eat. Thank you for my mother and for my father, too. Thank you for the animals inside the friendly zoo. Thank you for the birds that sing. Thank you, God, for everything. When Richard asked me to participate in this program, I said, I didn't think I could improve on that. <laughs> I'll just add a little to it. I could rhapsodize about Arizona's wonderful weather or on the sense of smell that triggers memory and whether I'd rather taste the tang of lemon on the tongue or relish cheesecake's sweet, rich smoothness. How precious is our every breath. Each day we wake is a gift May we cherish the beauty around us that gives our spirits a lift. But most of all, for love, for the treasures of family, of friendship, for the particular delight of a partnership, for the openness and innocence of children, let us give thanks. Here to talk this morning on humility, but there aren't enough people here, so <laughs> instead, I'll read this. <clears throat> it's a little story. It's called Bus Ride. <clears throat> Johnsville was much like any other small town. No one remembered when the town got its name or after whom it was named. It was always Johnsville for as long as anyone could remember. There were two churches, two taverns, and two clubs, the men's club and the women's club. Though most people in town knew each other, the growing population brought new families that were still getting settled and learning the ins and outs and the who's and what's. There was one bus line and one bus that traveled 
from the west side of town to the east side, then turned around by the lake and came back again, moving from east to west, until he came to City Hall. The town council was talking about someday having a north and south bus line if the population kept growing. That time hadn't come yet. Most mornings, Jim was the driver working the entire shift from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m., unless he was busy running snow removal equipment, which he did for extra Christmas money. There was no bus service on weekends or holidays. On this Monday morning, Jim heated the bus, drove it to the city hall, and waited for the regular passengers to get on board. Today, like always, old Jack stood at the back of the line, waiting for everyone else to climb the stairs and take a seat. As he paid his fare, Jack looked at this morning's passengers and saw a new face near the back of the bus. There was one spot available next to the man in the back, and Jack shuffled down the aisle and sat down. He said hello to the stranger, who replied with a silent nod and looked out the window. Without another word, Jack reached into his coat packet, pocket and took out a, a small package. He sat there for a while, and as the bus began its western journey, Jack began speaking in a low voice to the man next to him. You know, some days when I'm feeling a little down, I like to look out the window as the bus moves through town. It kind of makes me feel a little better, knowing that even though I feel alone, all the people I see on the streets and in the stores let me know that maybe I'm not as alone as I feel. But you know what really has a way of picking me up? The man didn't answer. That's when I put something in my stomach. With that, Jack opened his small package and took out a, took out a sandwich. <laughs> yes, sir, there's nothing like a good sandwich to start my day. And yesterday, being Thanksgiving Day, I have a nice, thick slice of turkey on today's sandwich. With that, Jack took a bite out of his food and shaking his head made a sound of joy as he chewed his first bite. You know what else makes me feel good, said Jack? It's sharing my food with someone else. One half a turkey sandwich? The man shook his head, no. Come on, insisted Jack, take it, it tastes great. Reluctantly, the man reached out, grabbed the sandwich and took a bite. Good, he mumbled with a mouthful of turkey. It tastes good. See, I told you, said Jack, there's nothing like a good sandwich to perk up your day. Pretty soon, the men started talking, and before long, Jack noticed a smile breaking out on the man's face. It wasn't a big smile, but it was a smile. Here's where I get off, said Jack, as he rose and pulled the exit cord. The man watched Jack as he left the bus, crossed the street, and sat on the bench by the bus stop for the east bus that would take him back towards City Hall. The man got up to leave the bus at the next stop, but before he did, he walked to the front and asked the driver who that guy was. I don't know, said the driver. All I know is that he gets on this bus each morning, rides for a while, and then gets off not always at the same place, but he sits on that bench across the street 
and waits for me to come back around to take him back east. What's his name, said, asked the man. I don't know if he's sure, said the driver, but we all call him Jack. Funny, said the man. A long time ago, my father had a friend. His name was John, but we all called him Jack. The driver smiled, opened the door, and the man got out. Later that day, as the bus was making its return trip, the doors opened and Jack got on. Hi, Jim, said Jack to the driver. Hi, Jack, said the driver in return. Go find a good seat and we'll be on our way. Jack shuffled down the aisle, found a seat next to a sad-looking young woman, sat down and said, Good afternoon, I'm Jack. Would you like half a sandwich? Are we here to celebrate the pilgrim's invention of the turkey dinner with candy jams and cranberry sauce? I don't know about you, but I'm not. I am here to give thanks. Gratitude is very important to me. Gratitude has saved my life. I used to be really grouchy, even more grouchy than I am now, if you can imagine that. Then I started giving thanks for things in my life. At first, I only gave thanks for the stuff that I liked, such as nice weather, ice cream, and kisses. Then one day, I was told that I had bladder cancer. This was not exactly wonderful news. But as I was driving away from the doctor's office, the words, Thank you, Lord, came out of my mouth. Unbidden. Somehow, everything was okay. So I discovered that being thankful, thankful for everything, even the stuff I don't like, makes the world a better place, at least for me. Ever since then, I say thank you, and everything is okay. Yes, gratitude is very important to me. Words are also important to me. Where they come from, what they mean, how they sound. I enjoy looking up the derivations of words, their roots and other words from the same roots. I discovered that thank, think, and thought come from the same root. Thanks are sometimes defined as expressing gratitude. Gratitude comes from the same root as grace, congratulate, and agree. Does that mean that to disagree is a disgrace? I hope not. That would be bad news for you use. I looked up the word give in the dictionary and found almost 20 definitions. Among them were convey, contribute, bestow, grant, bring forth, ascribe, devote, sacrifice, yield, and surrender. I also found that forgive and behave come from the same root. All this makes my mind whirl. Perhaps you can see that happening right now. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, putting thanks and giving together implies, for me at least, so many different and wonderful possibilities. Bestowing grace. Surrendering agreement. I suppose that means instead of arguing. Bringing forth congratulations and even sacrificing thought. Wow, I suppose we had enough sacrificing of thought this year, so let us give thanks that it's almost over. <sighs> give thanks for that which you greet with delight. Give thanks for that which keeps you up at night.
Give thanks for the loose. Give thanks for the tight. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Give thanks for the music that fills you with wonder. Give thanks for those who always blunder. Give thanks for lightning. Give thanks for thunder. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Give thanks for government, keeping us confused. <laughs> give thanks for politics, keeping us amused. Give thanks for politicians, keeping us abused. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Give thanks for the people you see around you. Give thanks that life can still astound you. Give thanks for the way that love has found you. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Give thanks that you still like to have fun. Give thanks that this poem is almost done. <laughs> give thanks for the moon, give thanks for the sun. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Now when I think of giving, brings to mind the word gift. And this is about a gift. In the rooms, we speak of the gift of desperation, a gift not wanted by those who have never known suffering. To cruelly battle with those you love, to sleep outside in the snow and the rain, to hurl away all that you have worked for, to wake up in a strange place with a strange person. Even that is not enough for the truly strong of will. No, it takes what it takes. I've heard so many times, and I have proven it to be true. It is only until your best efforts have failed that the gift becomes available to you. It is only then that you realize that desperation is a gift. My favorite poems are written by the wind. Their rhythm changes constantly. The best of them are silent. They have no words to confuse me. Listen, can you hear? A chair on the lawn, sparkling at dawn, sprinkled with dew, wouldn't you hesitate to sit? Simple things define the way we perceive the world we see. A spider web in a doorway, the sound of weeping, the smell of decay. Is there a problem? I like to pretend there's a reason for what I do when I do it. But to tell you the truth, there may not be, or at least not a reason I can describe. We have our conversations, pointless, aimless, nonetheless necessary. They serve to maintain the illusion of being relevant, of not being alone. This being November, political season, I thought I'd throw in some political stuff. I wrote this one in early April. I tell you that so you don't jump to conclusions about the subject, who it is about. It's called Liberty Bubbles. After decades of soporific complacency, the people wake up and demand that a strong man take responsibility for their misery. 
They cheer heartily to his constant cries. It's their fault. It's all their fault. After all, since he is saying what others do not say, he must be telling the truth. Although they have been disappointed over and over, this time they are certain it will be different. A little later that month, looking at the world around me, outside of this country, as well as in this country, I wrote this one. The flowers of fascism bloom anew. One by one they open. We adore their glorious colors. We ignore their tempting aroma. Their scent is exotic. Their message hypnotic. What you need to be free is a leader. All over the world the blossoms appear, displaying seductive beauty. Soon all will wear them, a most sacred duty. The people cut them and place them in vases. Now you see them in all the best places. This is the way a flower should look, the people all agree. We shall see only that which is pleasing, that which inspires us, making us free. Hopefully, there will come a day when everyone will stand up and say, only followers need a leader. Earlier this week, I wrote this one, another political poem. It's called, There Are Demons. The sky is falling! The sky is falling! It is true, there are demons. But not so many in this neighborhood. Perhaps, just perhaps, our concern is misplaced. I remember Y2K, how worried we were. We were certain that this would be the end of everything. Somehow we were wrong. I am thankful for error. I'm being quiet. This one's for the spring season, but, you know. Spring flowers bloom. The world again becomes green. Pollen from the trees is in the air. We who live here go about our tasks. My task is to enjoy, walk and enjoy. I see the colors, the greens, the browns, the various reds. I smell the subtle aromas changing with the breeze, and I hear the breeze, and a bird, first here, then across the wash, then silence, broken by the great loud noise of the swarming bees as they pass overhead, unseen. Thanks, to me, goes along with the expression, you're welcome. Nowadays, people say, if you say thank you, they say, no problem. Well, I'm really glad to hear that it didn't cost you anything to do something nice. <laughs> Looking at me, you probably wouldn't guess this, but I'm pretty old-fashioned. I said I was looking for a spiritual home. You said, you are welcome here. I told you that my life had been unusual, irregular, what some would call sinful. You said, you are welcome here. I grew up thinking that you are welcome only came after thank you. You, you, yous have shown me another way.
Thank you. In case you think I'm all Miss Big Mr. Sunshine, I got these. This one's called Hope. Hope is desire with too fewer letters and no accountability. Hope is a way to refuse reality to say, this is not what I want. Hope is a way of sustaining the illusion of time, of saying that sometimes it is now and sometimes it is then. That is so silly. It is always now. Hope is a game for suckers. Even darker. It was one of those things I hoped I had forgotten. The child screaming in the window of the burning house was a dream. My mother said it was better not to think of some things. My father said nothing. Without feeling, life is effortless. It is possible to do great things, achieve what you desire. The cat almost made it across the road. The car did not stop. And in a lighter vein. Five kittens live in my house. I believe it is my responsibility to nourish them in every way. So I decided to teach them algebra. <laughs> I sat them down in an orderly row and insisted that they pay attention. Then I began to explain X and Y. They began to tussle with each other. Adopting my most serious demeanor like this. I once again insisted they pay attention. Black Eye and Mr. T chewed on my toes while Ocelot Belly watched intently. By this time I was wondering if algebra was my best choice. Perhaps Elizabethan literature would be a more suitable course of study. When I had eight legs, I could do wonderful things. I could walk up the wall. I could hang from the ceiling. I could spin and weave to rival the finest goblin. All that was wonderful, but I could not tell you I loved you. I was caught in my delicate weaving trapped by my artful display, stymied by my self-definition. Now I am content with two legs. I weave for my own enjoyment. I cannot walk up walls, and I cannot hang from the ceiling, but I can tell you I love you. I wrote this one a couple years ago. I thought I'd read it today because I like it. I have some friends who are stones. I don't mean Mick or Keith. I mean rocks, beings of lithoid nature. They are quiet, unobtrusive, eternally reliable, and of course they are very solid. My first stone friends were the three speckled rocks, Rose, Belinda, and Arnie. I found them one day while walking on the headlands. I heard them singing in the grass. I bent down to see what it was I was hearing. And there they were, giggling and smiling. I immediately adopted the trio and gave them a home in my pocket. They went with me on my journeys, always quiet, never complaining. They were the finest of traveling companions. Eventually, they sought other adventures and wandered off on their own. Last week, I saw Arnie. 
He put on weight, but he looked happy. <laughs> you said, I'm hungry, so I gave you something to eat. You said, this tastes wonderful, so I gave you the recipe. You questioned the meaning of one cup. Let us give thanks that God is patient. Today I wonder if I'm really a duck. Don't be silly, you say, as if there were some reason that I should not be a duck. But let us not argue or dispute the duckness of my reality. Instead, we can consider the duck-like aspects of my being. None of you have ever seen me fly. But are you always watching? <laughs> I am seldom heard to quack, but are you always listening? Have you ever seen me without shoes? Perhaps I have webbed feet. One never knows. Although I have nary a feather, I am fluffy beyond comprehension. <laughs> These are certainly questions to ponder as we go about our daily waddle. <sighs> And now back to the subject at hand. Just before I fell asleep one night, I remembered something I had heard as a child. It was an appeal from a charity, give until it hurts. I thought about that for a while, and then I fell asleep. When I woke up, I thought about it some more. I didn't like the way it sounded. Hurt is not a pleasant word, not to me at least. When I sit down for my Thanksgiving turkey, should I give thanks until my head aches? If I win a million bucks in the lottery, should I give thanks until my toes scream with gout? I find it unnerving to equate giving with pain. Unnerving and distinctly embarrassing. There must be a better way. How about give until you giggle? Give until you wiggle? Give until you feel so good that you stand up and holler, Woo-hoo! Or my favorite, give all that you have. Because if it hurts to give, you aren't really giving. So be it. Will the ushers please come forward? <laughs> 